Hello and welcome. My name is Emily Torrealba, and I'm here to talk about sustainable infrastructure and renewable energy. We're going to focus on how these practices can be implemented in major cities, governmental policies, and our day-to-day lives. Thanks for joining. Let's jump in. Today's episode is all about phase change materials and thermal energy storage. To break it down from the beginning, we're going to go over a few basics all about heat transfer. So the first law of thermodynamics is that energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only change forms. And one of the ways that energy can change forms is through heat transfer. Many objects contain a potential energy. If you think about a log of wood, and if, for example, you set the log of wood on fire, you create a campfire, there would be a heat transfer or an energy transfer that happens where the energy that was once stored inside the wood is then released as heat, uh, and the wood becomes ashes, the heat's released into the atmosphere, we get warmer around the campfire, everybody kind of benefits from it. So that's a very basic example of heat transfer. Uh, Another important note when it comes to heat transfer is that the goal is to always reach uh, equilibrium temperature. So if you think, for example, you have a, a soda with ice cubes in it, eventually those ice cubes melt, the drink is no longer as cold, and it becomes the same temperature as the atmosphere around it. Um, It's never going to become warmer than the atmosphere it's sitting in. And phase change materials, which is the focus of this episode today, are an excellent source of thermal energy storage. To hop back to the uh, ice in in a soda example, Ice cubes are a form of phase change materials that we encounter pretty much daily. So we all know H2O has uh, multiple forms, solid liquid gas. And a basic, uh, just to walk you through a basic phase change would be, let's say you put the ice cubes in the cup. There, the energy is going to be released to cool down the beverage and eventually the beverage is going to reach ambient temperature. Now let's say you then take that liquid and you heat it up, you put it on the stove, it's going to evaporate and become like you're going to get some water vapor in there. So that is a a really basic just three phase changes, a phase change material, a thermal energy storage material that we encounter pretty much daily. Moving from there, The phase change materials that have been making a lot of waves lately are typically made up of a gel-like substance. Sometimes the gel-like substance is contained in a small pill form um, and that is then like maybe surrounds an object. And these phase change materials, there is an array of different melting points. So you would select your phase change material based on its specific melting point based on the purpose and the climate that this material would be in. At the freezing point for the phase change material, the PCM will then hold the energy, store the energy until uh, the climate around it warms up, 
and then it will release the energy to cool down the the surrounding environment. And phase change materials are a really excellent source of thermal energy storage because during the day when the sun is shining brightly, it's very, very warm. We can harness the thermal radiation from the sun to be utilized as energy in the evenings. On my recent blog post, I have an image, it's kind of a graph that depicts the peaks and valleys of when thermal energy is available. So obviously there's more thermal radiation available during the daytime hours, but unfortunately that is not the typical cycle of the Um, the working American lifestyle, we are not at home using our utilities and our lights typically during the days we're out working. So if you took the graph of when the thermal energy is most available versus when it is in highest demand, they're pretty much the opposite. So the higher, there's a higher demand for energy in residential properties, obviously in the early mornings and in the evenings when the sun isn't out, but people are home and they're using their appliances and their lights. They've got their TV going. So phase change materials are a way to, I like to say, cut the peaks and fill the valleys. So you're taking the thermal radiation that is available during the day, you're harnessing it, and then you're saving it to sort of fill the valleys in the evenings when there's a higher demand to use it. One application of phase change materials is to implement them within the structures of a building. You can place them within your walls, in your roof, on your floor, pretty much anywhere on the envelope. And this is excellent because these materials have a fairly long life cycle. They don't have an infinite life cycle, but it is fairly long. And what phase change materials can do is they reduce the thermal load that is placed on a typical heating and cooling system for a building. And obviously, sunshine is thankfully free. Thermal radiation we aren't paying for. So this is a way to provide one sustainability for the infrastructure, but also it it helps out the people who are paying their bills because they're going to have a reduced heating and air conditioning bill. There are also applications of phase change materials in smart fabrics, which is amazing for athletes. Uh, An example would be like you put your your warm hand on a uh, fabric containing phase change materials The face change materials draw the heat away from your body, away from your hand, and help you cool down. Or if you're trying to stay warmer, the face change materials will also help you preserve your body temperature. Face change materials have also made their way to just like the pinnacle, the height of fashion, NASA. They are being implemented in spacesuits as well, which is just, it's amazing. These materials essentially... They help you regulate temperature and reduce the thermal load on a system. Now, it can sound almost like phase change materials are a miracle substance. Why why don't we just surround every surface in a building with phase change materials? It'll save so much money. It'll be better for the earth, better for our infrastructure, our environment. But there are some limiting factors here. 
One would be phase change materials do not have an infinite life. So eventually the building where the phase change materials might be implemented in the structure, it might outlive those phase change materials and there might not be as much of a long-term benefit to having them there. You have to kind of understand the lifetime of the material you're putting in and the lifetime of the building. Another downside is if you're wanting to use an organic phase change materials, those can be highly flammable. Inorganic phase change materials have a less uh, rate of flammability, but that would be a concern if you're increasing the flammability of a building structure. So that's something to take into account when implementing these materials. And then there's uh, the age old problem, the cost. It is expensive to implement phase change materials. And I know uh, if we're looking at a purely residential standpoint, I live in New York City, I'm a renter, I'm the one who pays my utility bills. So there is not a high level of motivation for landlords who, you know, they, they can pass that financial burden off to the renter. There's not a huge amount of motivation for them to spend money up front to make their buildings more energy efficient if they're not going to see the benefit of that financially. I am optimistic that as phase change material research improves and potentially even more, uh, sustainable infrastructure, environmental legislation passes, that that might shift. There's some research being done regarding phase change materials implemented in paints. So you could potentially paint the entire surface of a building with phase change materials, and that would reduce the thermal load on the building, which would be an interesting fix to physically implementing a gel-like substance within the walls and within the physical structure of a building because it's one much easier to do a retrofit if you're simply painting a surface if there's a limited life on the phase change materials of the paint you would have to refresh the paint on the building eventually anyway and when it comes down to it it's it's much easier to paint a surface than it is to implement a gel-like material within the walls of a building So I'm hopeful as technology and research becomes more advanced in that specific sphere, that phase change materials can be more widely available to be implemented in both new and existing infrastructure. To sum it all up, phase change materials show a huge potential to be something that could really have an impact in the sustainability of the infrastructure around us. I am specifically interested in their potential to retrofit buildings in major cities. We already have some very limited options when it comes to that, and so I'm interested in exploring what more phase change materials could possibly do in that area. Like we talked about, there are quite a few limiting factors when it comes to the lifetime of these materials, the expense of implementing them, and the overall practicality, the cost-benefit analysis. I'm hopeful that as research improves, those roadblocks will become smaller and we will be able to implement phase change materials on a wider basis. I, these are This is definitely an area I'm going to keep my eye on. Thank you for sticking with me for this episode today. 
For my next episode, I'm going to explore the options that renters have to maybe do a little bit of a retrofit on their own apartments. I'm going to see what I can do to make my New York City apartment more energy efficient and what options I have to explore. There seem to be quite a few resources out there, so I'm going to do some digging. So I'm going to let you guys know what I find. Stay tuned. I'll be releasing that episode shortly. 